this is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I have a terrific guest with me this morning. Rachel Flick has just a, an incredible educational background, but she is also rooted in faith and fitness, and she comes from a law enforcement family. She's going to tell us about that, and she's the mom of twins. So we're grateful that she's here because she's a really busy lady. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Betsy. I'm really excited about this interview today. So Rachel, um, first and foremost, I, I wanna talk about your husband, Micah. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he uh, was a, a police officer and, and yes. like so many police officers in this country, your husband paid the ultimate price for doing his job, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah. In February of 2018, he was on an undercover task force for auto theft and he and nine other officers went to arrest a suspect that they had been following for over eight hours that day. And um, when his partner went to arrest the suspect, he produced a gun and shot my husband's partner and then went to execute him. And Micah grabbed the gun and in the wrestling for the gun, Micah was shot in the neck. And that is, and, and people don't always realize how quickly so fast these situations develop. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us what you remember about that day, the, the obviously the worst day of your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a very normal day. It was the day after Super Bowl Sunday, and we'd had a large family party, and all the kids were playing, and Micah was rooting for the underdogs, and, you know, we were just doing our normal family life, and then that Monday, every Monday was auto theft undercover day, and um, he kissed me goodbye in the morning, and I rose up on one elbow and kind of smiled at him as he left, and that was the last time I saw him. And so later that day, around four o'clock, they went to arrest the suspect. And so um, Scott Stone, he was shot in the hip and still um, experiences significant disability because of the shooting. Um, two other officers were shot in addition to Scott and Micah. And then um, a civilian was permanently paralyzed um, as a bystander. And then the suspect was killed in return fire. Um, you know, I am putting tights and a leotard on my daughter and getting ready to take her back to ballet after school. And um, I start getting phone calls um, one after another after another. And I hear the news that he's been shot. And it's not until the undersheriff gets to my driveway that he tells me that um, they were not able to save him, that Micah had passed away. And um, that began the progression of the change of everything in my life. Um, everything got dumped out and went upside down that day. And it's never been the same. Now, Rachel, when, when a, a young family like yours loses a husband, it obviously it's devastating. Yes. You wanna just curl up in the corner and, and never come out again. But yeah, you, have you have seven-year-old twins. Yes. And, and you have got to find a way to get on with your life. Because when people see, a, a, when a law enforcement officer is killed, for a week or two, there is a flurry of unbelievable support yeah, and activity, yeah. isn't there? Can you talk yes. about that for a minute? Well, um, it was kind of amazing. I mean, there were already um, people there at the house. There was a strong law enforcement 
presence there. There were people with candles and flowers and gifts. People from the church had come and already brought, um, you know, food on the table. It, it made national news. You know, we were getting um, gift baskets from NBC requesting, you know, interviews. Um, we had two funerals. One was a private family funeral of a thousand. And then we had a public funeral with all the motorcades and processions. And that was for 10,000. Um, I mean, that was my first uh, real introduction to line of duty death. And so all of the honor guards, the 21 gun salutes, the flag ceremonies, all of that was pretty new to me. Um, I kind of felt like I was living in a movie because it was so surreal and different from any funeral I'd ever attended. Well, and, and, and that all is, it's amazing. And I, I've been involved in those. I remember when Micah was killed because I had worked in, I had worked undercover at one point and, and was doing national level training at that Mm. point. So I I remember distinctively when he was killed and, and, and I remember all of the, the national attention and and things like Mm. that. But Mm -hmm. after a point, then everybody kind of gets back to their normal lives and here you are yeah. you're a working mom yes of twins and and now you're a widow you're a young yeah. widow let's talk about first what your faith meant in that period of time after all yeah. the hoopla is gone and you're left to continue and live your life yeah absolutely well um i'm a christian And um, I was active in my church and um, was serving in ministry at the time when Micah was killed with a ministry called Mothers of Preschoolers. It's an international ministry. It's incredible. Um, And, you know, I've been a a Christian since I was a child. So this is very core to my being. Um, You know, I remember walking into the hospital with the undersheriff, you know, with the heavy SWAT presence to to Micah's body and just saying, God, I don't want you to use this for good. I don't want to join this club. I don't want anything to do with any of your promises that you redeem, you know, what the locusts have eaten, that you restore what is lost. Like I was like, I want my husband. And so I immediately was just, you know, up in arms with God in my relationship with him. But at the same time, I believed that he is who he says he is, that he is good and that he loves me. And that um, for a reason that I still don't always understand, he decided that um, he would allow Micah to give his life. And, And the scripture says, greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friend. And he did that for Deputy Scott Stone that day. And um, other officers on the op told me that if he hadn't given his life, we would be doing multiple funerals from that shooting. And so, um, you know, there's some of those grounding elements of my faith. And there are also those days where I just stood and screamed at the sky and, and um, cried out to God, why? You know, why? And why is an important question, but it's not one that we really have the capacity to answer in this lifetime. And so you have to ask it and then you have to surrender it you know, and continue to trust in faith that God does have a good plan for me and the twins and our family and everyone who's been affected by that loss. Right. I mean, just because I'm a Christian too, just because you're a Christian and you believe in, in the hereafter, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it easy, does it? No. I mean, I think the thing that it gives us is we don't grieve like those without hope. Right. Like Mike is in heaven and I'm going to see him again. You know, this isn't over. Right. And that right. is 
transformative in not getting stuck in your grief, not getting frozen in that loss, because there is no chapter two or continuation or ongoing healing. Right. And on your website, uh, you talk about hope through resilience. And, yeah. and so I want to talk about that. So Rachel, you're talk about your education a little bit and, and what okay. you do for a living. Great. So I got my undergrad in exercise physiology, and I had a different plan for that degree than what has um, ended up in my life. But what has been beautiful about that is that I have my master's of arts in counseling. And what that has created in me is a passion for really holistic health, spirit, soul, mind, and body, right? And I have the, the underpinning in my education to understand um, what healthy fitness and nutrition and a lifestyle looks like and how those are all interconnected. One individual piece doesn't hold the key. They actually are all an interlocking puzzle to create a whole healthy person. You know, talk about how important fitness is when yeah. we're talking about not just the physical health of a law enforcement officer, yeah. but the mental health, because Absolutely. police officer mental health right now right. is, is a huge topic. It gets bigger every day in the atmosphere we're dealing with right now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, you know, um, our law enforcement officers are put into a state of fight or flight every single day right? And so what happens is we get this massive cortisol dump and that creates all kinds of hormonal issues that creates changes in the physical structure of the brain. Um, it creates um, an increase in appetite, right? A more le like a, a desire for carbs and to eat more unhealthy foods, right? Because donuts, donuts right? That's why everybody's eating donuts. Um, and so you really have to actively mitigate the effects of stress in the body because the, that adrenaline and then the post-sympathetic adrenaline dump where it's like bringing the body back into stasis is, is very hard on the body. And you do that over and over again when you're responding to crises. And so exercise releases all kinds of um, hormonal balancers, balances your insulin and um, your metabolism. And it gives you um, this mental stability to be able to better tolerate better tolerate, not um, eliminate. So exercise doesn't eliminate the effects of stress in the body, but it definitely creates a mental balance. And, you know, when we're taking care of ourselves, when we're actively participating in self-care, you know, a lot of officers take their stress home, right? And yeah. they couldn't take it out on um, the person involved in the altercation or uh, their their fellow officer or their commanding officer, right? They had to be professional and hold it all together. And so a lot of people take that stress out in their attitude at home. And so if you're exercising, if you're taking care of your body, you're going to have that decompression time where you're going to be less likely to enact your frustrations through your, through your tone of voice, through um, the time alone that you need to just get through your job. And you're going to be more emotionally available, which is going to have the consequence and the side effect of your family feeling more loved and connected to you, therefore more supportive of your job, right? Not trying to get you to quit because everything's so stressful for them and for you. Right. And so it just um, pays an infinite amount of dividends. So let's talk about police kids. Okay. That, that's something that, that uh, um, 
you know, again, in this atmosphere where there's lots of negative publicity, uh, you know, concerning law enforcement, mm -hmm. it's not just stressful for the officer no, and no. their spouse or, or uh, partner or parents, because a lot of, we have a lot of young officers, mm -hmm. how, it affects the kids, doesn't it? It absolutely does. You know, it affects them really directly in that it's not uncommon for officers to work exceptionally long hours, right? Like, they have overtime and they're on call. And I, I don't know if we had more than a year in 10 years of marriage where Micah wasn't working a position where he carried a pager, you know? And so that's like, you know, dad might not be able to do this, or, you know, we're going to this party or we're having this activity, but dad can't participate, you know? And so that's a different style of family culture. Um, when you're constantly explaining why, um, you know, mom or dad can't be at an event or why mom or dad looks like a zombie because they're working night shift and you're having a birthday party, right? And they're trying to be present for that activity. So there's the family culture aspect of, of law enforcement for children. And then there is the larger cultural aspect um, where, you know, kids are hearing a lot of media about law enforcement and, you know, people saying, you know, defund the police or they're hearing things at school and, and other kids are talking about police officers in a negative light. Um, and there's been, you know, curriculum that's been produced that has, um, it has the police, uh, an anti-police bias in it, you know, and so kids are being told these things, um, they're not sure if Black Lives Matter conflicts with their what their parents do or, you know, does being a police officer mean that my parent is racist, you know, these kind of conversations that kids are getting into and, um, and just being um, exposed to right like, uh, do they have the tools to deal with that, depending on their age in school and, and what they're being exposed to and so that's definitely an additional level of stress for a law enforcement family. As a counselor, how do you recommend um, parents deal with that? And not just parents of law enforcement kids, but even because at the National Police Association, one of the things we like we, we uh, do mm -hmm. is we help pro-police citizens learn ways that they can support that. So how can yeah. our citizens who support us how can they have those conversations with their own kids well i think it's really important to recognize that there's no black and white really easy answers like if you just check this box everything will be fine you know this is a very complicated complex issue in society and there are many layers to it and there are many um, people who have a seat at the table or a perspective to bring to this um, you know and so being willing to explore what they're hearing and seeing on the media, right? You know, the riots and, and George Floyd and all of these names that have become household names and, um, you know, businesses that, that are saying we support Black Lives Matter or, um, you know, we've had protests against the law enforcement here in Colorado Springs, things like that, right? Where you're willing to talk about it when it comes up and as it comes up. I think um, obviously 
obviously the, the age and development of the child is going to be really important in that conversation. And you want to, you want to create an age appropriate discussion that doesn't bring more details um, than you need. There's a lot of media out there with some very gory, explicit body camera footage, right? And everybody doesn't need to see that when they're children. And so, you know, when you start thinking junior high and high school, that's going to be more of a consideration than um, when they're young. But I know even my children, um, having lost their daddy as a hero, it's incredibly confusing for them about why anybody wouldn't support law enforcement. Now, what about police spouses? You know, mm -hmm. that's a um, that's an additional issue. Where, yeah. and, and in fact, we have had uh, police spouses and and police parents mm. have lost their jobs because of their relationship with a particular police officer who was involved in a in a you know particularly notorious case. So there's there's that, and again. There's stress involved yeah. in, you know, and now it's not just um, sitting at home waiting for uh, what happened to you, you know, the mm -hmm. undersheriff to pull in the driveway and get mm -hmm. that horrible news. But now it's, oh my gosh, if my husband or wife gets into a shooting, I'm going to have to pack up the kids and flee our home. I'm going to have to deal with, you know, my husband or wife being called a murderer in the media. I mean, there's a whole lot of stress involved yeah. in being a police spouse yeah isn't there how do you well, again going back to a you're a police spouse and b uh -huh. you're you're a professional yeah how do you well, recommend I'll, families deal with that mm -hmm. i'll personalize that so um micah worked in detentions and um he arrested someone who uh, was part of a gang and said he was going to kill micah because of the charges brought against him Right. And so we understand within the gang system that just because that person is in jail doesn't mean that they can't communicate a hit on an officer outside. Exactly. And so that was incredibly stressful for Micah, um, feeling like he could never, um, you know, he was always watching his back kind of a thing. Like when we're at church, when we're at a restaurant, when we're driving down the street, you know, in 2016, officers were um, being slaughtered just in their car, right? Like people were walking up and assassinating them yes. while they're doing paperwork, right? Which is um, not just oh, you know, they might have a bad day at work or they might get involved in an officer-involved shooting, but the, the potential of ambush has really upped the ante for police law enforcement families. And so I know of many families that, you know, they would never wear a thin blue line t-shirt, right? They would never have a sticker on their car. They, they hide their, their spouse's profession or they say they work for the city or for the government or something more neutral. Um, they ask their children not to speak about it, you know, or to... Um, not tell people their address or they don't host things, right? So that their location doesn't become known. And that kind of stress that is, um, you know, we could be murdered in our homes because of this culture war that's happening brings an incredible um, stress to families. And, and then, you know, I know of a, a situation here in Colorado where a woman um, who had an enemy for whatever reason, who created a false profile in her name and um, created racist uh, content in a, in a place on social media that would be found. And her husband, so this fake account 
of the woman whose husband is a law enforcement officer. He was put on desk duty while this investigation happened for months until it was wow. discovered that this was all an impersonation in a way to, um, you know, bring a sense of retaliation for something that they were upset about in their life. So the tension around law enforcement being a family, it's an incredible stress. In addition to what we always carry that this might be your last kiss or hug goodbye, right? Yes, Mike yes. and I always kissed goodbye because we never knew when the last one would come. If we were angry, if we had morning breath, you know, if we just were busy and, and passing each other, we always said goodbye because we understood that that was a risk of the job. So that's always been the case. And now um, the political climate, the media coverage has really increased the risk and the threat for the wives, the parents, the husbands, the children of law enforcement officers. Rachel, you have so, uh, so much more I know that we could talk about. And, and again, I want to emphasize that hope through resilience. Mm -hmm. Where can people go to find out more about you, about what you do, about bringing you in to speak and just being, frankly, just being amazed by mm -hmm. what you do? Where can people find out more? Well, my website is rachelflick.com. And then I have a resource called the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. And um, the, the core of the Hopecast is to be a model for resilience. That if the pain didn't kill me, your pain doesn't have to kill you either. And to watch somebody walk it out is an incredible um, light in this darkness and the struggle that we're experiencing right now. And that we all experience pain and loss. Um, and so you can find that on all of the hosting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Amazon Prime, all the things. Um, and then all the social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. Um, yes, so all of those places you can find me at Rachel Flick. When do you sleep, Rachel? I get <laughs> You know, I was just thinking last night that I wish that I did that more often. So I don't know if I have a good answer for that, Betsy. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for spending time with us. I encourage everyone yes. to go to her website. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. 1. Call 911 and give the officer's exact location. 2. Ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. 3. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.